So this morning, we get to start a new sermon series. It's called Community in Action. But we have some exciting news. We are still in the book of Ephesians. I would argue the greatest book of the entire Bible. The book of Ephesians is amazing because it's chucked full of beautiful truth of who we are in Christ and the love of God and then also how we can live in light of that identity. Uh, We just closed off our our last series, which was uh, called Identity Crisis. And the question we were looking at there was the question of who am I? A question that many of us have asked throughout our lives, and you may be asking today who you are. Well, the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to the church at Ephesus, he tells them who Christians are in Christ. In chapters 1 through 3, we saw that those who are in Christ are chosen by God before the foundations of the world. That this choosing was in love, and that they, we are adopted into the family of God. That we are holy and blameless before him. That we have been sealed with an inheritance that is to come from God. And all of this is for the praise of God's glory. We have been given grace. We've been given mercy. We've been given joy. We've been given peace. And we've been given Jesus Christ. How many of you are glad for that? It's incredible. We have to remember our identity in Christ as we start our new series going into chapters 4 through 6. Now, last week, we looked at chapter 3, which was the prayer of the Apostle Paul. And he was talking to the people of God, which was a new people no longer defined by race or socioeconomic background. There's no dividing wall between those things as there was in the Old Testament with Jews and Gentiles because Christ, dying on a cross, broke down that wall of hostility and has made one one new people in Christ, that is God's church. And that church is defined by surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ. And last week, the Apostle Paul prayed for the church that they would comprehend something. The breadth and width and height and depth of the love of God that surpasses all knowledge. And that this love would cause us, motivate us to live out our lives to glorify God, knowing that he can do far more abundantly than we can even ask or think. And today we're starting our new series in 4 through 6, where we're going to see how we live that out in our lives. We're going to see very practical wisdom and very practical advice of how we live out the gospel in our lives. We're going to see what it looks like to live out the gospel in church. We're going to see what it looks like to live out the gospel in our marriages. We're going to see what it looks like to live out the gospel in our parenting. We're going to see what it looks like when spiritual warfare comes upon us and to live out the truth of the word of God through spiritual warfare within our lives. Ephesians 4 through 6 is chucked through full with with incredible truths that I'm excited to dive into. Are you excited to dive into this word? Me too. So let's open up the word of God to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at 16 verses today. So we're going to blaze through them, but I want to stop and really emphasize within these verses the the, the truth of the unity of the body of Christ. And what we're going to learn today in Ephesians chapter 4 is that the body flourishes when the body is built up. The body of Christ, the church, flourishes when it is built up. You know, before uh, uh, God called me into ministry, I had a career as a personal trainer. Uh, And I used to have my own personal training business. And uh, one of my favorite things was to help people reach goals that they didn't think they could reach themselves. 
And I remember one client in particular who came to me. His name was Drew. And Drew was a very, a very interesting case because Drew actually used to work in the oil industry. And his job was actually to help carry these huge, gigantic oil pipes in the oil rigs. And one day, one of those oil pipes slipped and actually broke Drew's back. What ended up happening with Drew is that the doctor said, your back is going to heal and you will walk and, and you will be uh, able to, to live in this life, but you will not be able to live like you used to. You're not going to be able to lift over 20 pounds. Well, Drew came to me and, and we had a conversation and I just said to him, I said, listen, I think we can build your back up again. I, I think we can make it stronger. But I said, you have to listen to a very specific set of instructions and we need to utilize all the machines that are within this gym in order to build your body back up so it can be strong enough so that in life you can flourish. Well, over the next year, Drew followed all of the instructions and Drew used very specific machinery within the gym and stretches in order to build his back up. So much so that a year later, I remember Drew being on a back extension machine and he was holding a 45-pound plate doing back extensions. Just incredible as he listened to what, what the instructions were and he utilized the machines within the gym, how his body was built up to a strength that he never thought was possible. See, within the body of Christ, we have to utilize uh, the things that we have to build up the body. And what we have within the body to build up the body is the people of God. People of God who are each gifted with individual giftings to build the body up. And in 4 through 6, we have very specific instructions how we are to build this body up. So as we dive into the word, let's remember that we are called by God to utilize our giftings to build the body up. And we're going to see three different ways that we're called to build the body up. So let's dive into the text. Ephesians 4.1, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So we'll stop right there. So the Apostle Paul, he, he, he's launching into this second part of his letter, and he says, I, therefore, as a result of everything that was before, urge you. Now you have to remember that chapters 1 through 3 are all about establishing the identity that the Christian has in Christ. It's all about establishing the identity of a holy, blameless, righteous, chosen, beloved, made alive person. One that God deeply loves and cherishes and is his prized possession. Then you have to remember in that prayer that the Apostle Paul has prayed that they know the love of God. And now he is going to be saying to them, with all of this in mind, now what do we do? How do we live? Now imagine being the church at Ephesus and you've just heard all these beautiful truths just poured out upon you of who you are in Christ and the love of God. I can imagine you would just want to say, what do I do? What do I do now? If that's the type of love, I want, I want to experience that love. I, 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 want, I, I want to serve that God. And the Apostle Paul graces them with this. He says that I, therefore, a, a prisoner for the Lord. It's interesting that once again he identifies himself as a prisoner. We have to remember that the Apostle Paul is in Rome 
And he's actually writing to the church at Ephesus. I think we actually have a picture here just to give you a little bit of an idea of where Rome is and also where Ephesus is. So what we have here, if you look up at the top there, that's Italy and that's Rome. And that's where the Apostle Paul is in prison and has been for five years. And he's writing a letter to the church at Ephesus, which is in modern day Turkey. So I wanted to show you that because I think sometimes these places can just become like imaginary places, but these are real places and you can still go visit them today. And so he's writing from Rome to Turkey and he's writing to Ephesus. Now there's something you have to understand about Ephesus. As you see right there, it's on the sea and Ephesus was actually part of the uh, Roman Empire and the Roman Empire was one of the largest empires ever. And it was the fourth largest city within the Roman Empire. And so it was a, it was a place where there was a lot of trade and a lot of money that was going through there. There were many wealthy, rich people that were actually in Ephesus and it's important to, to remember this later. There, they were so rich that if you actually, I I think I have a picture here um, that actually had these gigantic coliseums uh, that they actually went. They were theaters, and these would seat 25,000 people, 25,000 people. And they would go, and they'd see plays, and they'd see different shows, and they, this still exists to this day. And, and so what would happen is, is you were, this was a community the Apostle Paul is writing to that was very wealthy. They had these amazing homes that were on the sides of cliffs overlooking the sea, and they had places of entertainment where they spent their money. And this is who the Apostle Paul is writing to, and he's writing as a prisoner for their sake. Because he realizes how the gospel will change their lives. I think sometimes in America, we live in a self-sufficient society. We, we may not be those who suffer daily from hunger. Well, we may not be those who are worried about food being on our table. Some of us are, and, and we trust the Lord in that provision. We may be those who have really nice homes, and we may be those who, who have really great lives, and there's nothing wrong with that, but we always have to remember, no matter who we are, no matter how much money we have, that Christ is the only thing that will give us our satisfaction. Christ is the only thing that will give us our purpose. And Christ is the only thing that's worth going to prison for. This is what's going on with the Apostle Paul. He is suffering on behalf of the Gentiles. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Again, he calls himself a prisoner of the Lord, not of Rome. He realizes it's God who put him there. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He says, I urge you to walk. Now, if we take that word, we go back a little bit in chapters 1 through 3 in Ephesians 2.10. We see that after uh, it's told of the grace of God and the mercy of God that in Ephesians 2.10, the text says, we are his workmanship, his handiwork, his craftsmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that were prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. This word walk actually means to live to, to live out this way of life. When you are a Christian and you're called by God and you surrender your life to him, you no longer live for you anymore. You have exchanged your life for his life. You're exchanging your ways for his ways. You're exchanging your desires for his desires. You are all about him, his word, and his way of living. And that's what a Christian is. It means a Christ follower, a small Christ. It is somebody who Jesus is the Lord of their lives. And so Paul is a prisoner for that Lord. 
And he says, walk in a specific way, in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now he's just laid out this incredible calling in chapters 1 through 3, a calling of hope and peace and freedom from God's wrath, a calling of joy, satisfaction, a calling of an eternity with Christ, a, a, a calling of identity and, and, and being adopted into the family of God. Now would you agree that that's a great calling? Amen? And so uh, with, with this in mind, he says, listen, live in a way that represents the king. Live in a way that's different from the rest of the world. Walk in a manner different from the rest of the world. If you claim the name Christian, you're going to look different from the rest of the world. If you claim the name Christian, your schedule will look different. Your, your bank account's going to look different. Uh, your prayers are going to look different. Your values are going to look different. Everything is different when you're a Christian because you're no longer following society. You're following Christ. And you're submitting to this book. You live your life under the word of God. It is your authority. It is our authority. That's why when we come each week and sit here and hear the word, it's a serious thing. I take it very seriously that I get the privilege and honor to be able to, to help us understand these words so that they can change our lives because they're the very words of God. So the Apostle Paul dives in and he tells us three ways that we can maintain and build up this body. First is that we humbly maintain unity in the body. Look at uh, 4.2. He, he lists two attitudes. With humility and gentleness... With patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So we see the Apostle Paul launch right into it. He's going to answer the question of how do I live as a Christian? Well, what identifies a Christian is first these two attitudes, an attitude of humility. Now, it's important to remember now where he's writing to, to a bunch of rich people who have everything that they need, who live in opulence. And this attitude of humility was not something that was to be prized. Pride was to be prized. Self-exaltation was to be prized. You needed to be top dog. And if you were top dog, then you had everything that you ever needed and ever wanted. The strong survived. The ones who lifted themselves up, that's what you lived for. And the Apostle Paul comes on the scene and he's writing to these people within the church and he says the first thing you need to be is humble. This was a quality that was not even seen within their society. You, if you said that a, a, a rich a Ephesian needed to be humble, they would have said, well, that's a quality of a slave. People will step on you. But this is the call of the Christian is to be humble because Jesus Christ himself was humble. Though being the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now that's great humility. Dying for your enemies. And so we're called, too, to picture that and live out Christ in humility. Then the second characteristic we see is gentleness. Gentleness, which is Power under control. It's like this controlled strength. It's realizing that within the body, someone's going to offend you, right? If you're in a family, you're going to get in fights. I've never heard of a family where there were never arguments before. We live in a family here. 
brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the language that we see within the Bible. There's family language all over the place in the Bible. And there's going to be disagreements and there's going to be arguments, but we always have to remember that, yes, we have the strength and the power to get back at that person, but in humility and in gentleness, we don't. We love our brother or sister. We care for them. Now, if there is sin going on or, or, or something like that, we are called to go to that individual and to talk to them through it. That's what Matthew 18 says. That's the process. So we follow that process of going one-on-one to our brother or sister, or if they don't listen, we go with one other person, and if they don't listen, then the church comes along. And the whole idea is to restore that brother or sister in Christ so that they would be stronger in Jesus and so that they would know him more. But we have to have these attitudes, not of pride, but of humility. Not of harshness, but of gentleness. Then he goes on, he says, with patience. Now, this whole idea of patience is enduring under trial. It's pressing on even when it gets hard. And many of you out there today have experienced great pain. You may be somebody who's in your office who's getting made fun of on a daily basis because you love Jesus. Keep living for the Lord. Keep pressing on. Paul, who experienced some of the greatest trials you can ever imagine, look at 2 Corinthians 11. You'll see some of the stuff that he experienced. He says, This light and momentary affliction is nothing compared to the weight of eternal glory that will be revealed for us. And Paul went through some stuff. And so we go on with patience, faithfully serving the Lord. And then he brings up this word that's been talked about in Ephesians 3 and throughout 1 through 3, this idea of love. Love meaning knowing and caring for that other person over ourselves. Love meaning look at that person and saying, I want you to know Jesus more over anything else in the entire world. Love sometimes is confrontation. Love, other times, is is forgiveness. Love is something that we must have in order to maintain humble unity within the body. Yet is this a unity at all costs that we're talking about here? No, it's not. We have to understand that there are certain truths that have to be unified around in order to be in the body of Christ. Look at the Apostle Paul. He gives seven pillars of Christian unity. And I think about this because uh, in those days they had huge buildings that were built on these huge, gigantic columns that were made of marble, and they actually held up the building. And what Paul's doing is he's laying out seven pillars of the Christian faith that if you pull them out, it's going to cause the building to start to crumble and collapse. But here's the seven pillars of Christian unity. One body, one spirit, one hope, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. We are called to definitely humble unity, but it's humble unity around the truth of God. It's humble unity around the Word of God. There are churches that will will have a unity at all costs mentality and to to go away from the Word of God and, and to go towards society to try and love them. Well, the reality is, is that loving people is telling them the truth of God. Loving people is telling them what the Word says. And we must be unified around the truth of God, that there is one body. There is only one body of believers in Jesus Christ. 
And that is those who surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, whether in America or China or or in Turkey or wherever else you can think of, there is only one body in Christ. We are a family with people from all sorts of different nations and peoples and tribes and languages. They're our family if they're in Christ. So we pray for them. We pray for the persecuted church. We pray for those who are suffering for their faith. We pray for our brothers and sisters in in other countries, and we realize that we are family with them. There's only one Spirit, the reality that the Holy Spirit indwells each and every one of us who surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6 says that we, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is a temple, a place of worship for the Holy Spirit of God. And there's one Lord, and that one Lord is Jesus Christ. There is no other master, no other Lord besides Jesus Christ. That is what sets Christians apart from every other religion in this world is that we view Jesus as our Lord. We view Jesus as our God. If you look at different religions, if you look at Jehovah's Witnesses, they they view Jesus as an archangel. They don't view Jesus as God. If we look at, if we look at uh, Islam, they view Jesus as a prophet and, and not as God. We, we have a lot of people who are very moral and very dedicated to their religions, sometimes more dedicated than we are to the true faith. But if we are not united around the truths of the word of God, uh, then it is not something that we can have unity in these areas. We can love and we can tell them about Jesus and we can care for them, have them over to our home, eat food with us. But there is truth that we must stand on and we must unite around. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith. One baptism, one faith. There is not more than one way to God. Society says there's more than one way to God. Your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. Well, that's not reality though. That's not scriptural. The scripture says that there's only one way to God and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ today. And if you think your good works, or if you think the fact that you're a good person, or or if you think the fact that that you're doing your best on this earth is going to save you, it's not. We're never going to earn salvation. We're never going to earn right standing with God. It is only through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is only through realizing we can't do it on our own, only realizing we cannot earn relationship with God and surrendering to him that we have Right relationship with the Father. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father over all. We only have one God, and that is Jesus Christ. There is not multiple gods. Any other religion that claims multiple gods, that is not what the Word of God says. Deuteronomy says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And so we look at this and we know That Jesus Christ is that one God. John 1. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Or you could translate it literally, God was the Word. The Word is Jesus, as we see later on. So we must realize that and unite around the truth of the Word of God. And we have this unity, and we have many people within the body of Christ The beautiful thing, though, is, too, that within the body, every single individual 
is gifted by God. Every single individual is vitally important to the body of God. Every single individual has something to bring to the table of God. So first, we unite humbly around truth. Second thing we do is actively minister to the body of God. Look at Ephesians 4, 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the preachers and teachers, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes." So Paul continues on and he says, we are one body, we are one faith, we are one baptism, and we have one Lord, and that is Jesus Christ. This is the Lord who, though he was King of kings and Lord of lords, though he was high and lifted up and he is the one God, he descended, that's what this text is saying, he descended to earth, being fully God and fully man, living as Jesus Christ, living a perfect life, Dying a death on a cross that none of us could have ever died, even though he was perfect. And within that perfection, he took the wrath and punishment of those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. Now that's an incredible truth, isn't it? Isn't it amazing to realize that you deserve the very wrath of God, the fiery wrath of God? Yet, if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, he took that punishment on that cross. So you would not have to take it. He gets the punishment, you get glory, you get honor, you, you get riches, you get inheritance. It doesn't seem fair, <laughs> but it's reality. And so he is the same Jesus who humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so God made his name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is this one Jesus who gave the church something. That's incredible. He gave us a gift. He gave gifts to men. That's, that's what it says here in the text. Well, what are these gifts? The gifts that have been given to us, that have been given to Christians, are gifts of the Holy Spirit. Gifts that we have, each and every individual member of this body, to serve the church, to love the church, and to help accomplish the mission of God, which is to make disciples of all nations. If you are a Christian here today, you are an integral part of God's church. If you are a Christian here today, you bring something to the table that nobody else does. If you're a Christian here today, you have a gifting that I don't have and, and that everyone else here does not have. You are uniquely gifted to, to, to input and to love and to, and to build up the body of Christ. You're more than just somebody who comes in and sits in a seat every Sunday. You're called to serve our church. You're called to serve Christ. 
And that will grow us in our spiritual walk with God as we serve the church. That will grow us in our walk with God as we minister to those in our community. Jesus himself calls the church to make disciples of all nations. To make disciples, which means preaching the gospel. To mature disciples, which means to, to, to tell people about everything Jesus commanded us and help us grow more like Jesus. And to multiply disciples, which means when a person is at a certain point where they have understanding of Christ and they can teach others, they need to go get a disciple themselves. A disciple meaning a learner, somebody, and we, we, we do it all around the word of God. And the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the preachers and teachers, their job, my job, is to help everyone else use our gifts. You guys are the ones who use your gifts. I use my gifts too, right, on Sunday morning and, and in different areas. But you guys are the ones who have the, the, the largest majority of the gifts. One of the greatest ways that I can think of it that helps me grasp it in my mind is if you think about Thanksgiving. Like a great big Thanksgiving dinner. Now, you might be somebody who every single Thanksgiving, you're the one who does everything, right? You're the one who cooks the meal, who cleans the house, who invites people over, who cleans up afterwards. You do absolutely everything, which is great. And I'm sure there's, there's a great meal within that. But year after year after year, I mean, it gets a little bit tiring. And those meals probably start to suffer a little bit. But now think about the, the, the beauty of, of Thanksgiving and, and everyone bringing a special dish to pass. I mean, you got grandma's recipe for that great cranberry sauce. And you have that, 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 that stuffing with the sausage that's perfectly seasoned and you bring that in. And somebody else brings in the turkey and somebody else brings in the mashed potatoes. And somebody else brings all of these different things to the feast so that we can celebrate and enjoy together. Now imagine if the person who's got the stuffing with the amazingly seasoned sausage and it doesn't bring it to Thanksgiving. Mm, it's a bad day. Imagine if somebody doesn't bring the mashed taters. Man, what if somebody didn't bring the pumpkin pie? Oh, man. We are all called to bring something to the table of the family of Christ. We are all called to bring that special gifting that God has given us to serve to build up this church. This church is so much stronger with you serving in it than it is with you not serving in it. You are so vitally important to reaching this community for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are here, that's the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, to equip, give the right tools to the saints so they can go out into the world and do the work of the ministry, which is to make disciples. So listen to the reality that you have in chapters 1 through 3 of who you are in Christ. Fill up with the love of God in that prayer in Ephesians 3. And then go out. And make disciples. People need the truth. More and more people every single day are becoming what are called religious nuns. It means that they have no religious affiliation whatsoever. Atheism is on the rise. Agnosticism is on the rise. And the church must go in with the truth. Romans says that the word of God is powerful to bring salvation. 
So if we can get with people and we just read the word with them, that will bring power into their lives that could bring salvation. That's why I preach the gospel every single week here. Because not all of us are Christians in a room this size. Maybe we've gone to church our whole lives. Maybe we are somebody who can check the box every single Sunday that we sat in a seat. Maybe we gave faithfully. But if you haven't surrendered, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, then you're not part of the body. So if you don't know Christ today, surrender your life to him. And it's vitally important to fulfill the mission and the call of Jesus. So ask yourself the question, are you serving the church? In two ways. Are you serving the local body of Christ here at Woodside Bible Church Chesterfield if this is your home? Second, are you serving the, the church universal by preaching the gospel and making disciples in our communities? Man, four to 500 people who are going on mission for Jesus is so much more than one person going out mobilizing the saints of God. That's my passion and hope today. Is that we would realize how intricately important we are in this body. That we would realize that each one of us needs to serve in this church. And that we would realize that each one of us needs to go into our communities and preach the gospel. Maybe today your application is that uh, next week we have what's called a Next Steps Pathway, and it's our membership class. And you've been going here for weeks or months or maybe even years, and you haven't stepped into commitment. You're not saying, I'm all in here. But if this is your church, we want you to come and say, I'm all in. 11 o'clock next week in the, oh, through those doors over there in the, uh, in the office area. Come and know who we are. Come and hear about our doctrine. Come and hear about the truth of God. But then also, serve and preach the gospel in your neighborhoods and your networks. It's vitally important for the word of God to go forth into our communities and to reach people for Jesus. And when we do that, the third thing that we see from the Apostle Paul is we do it in love. We lovingly speak truth. Now, truth is vitally important. And it's easy to swing one way or another. Either you do truth and you don't think about the person, or you do love and you don't think about truth. If you, if you do truth and, and you're not considering and loving that person, and the reason you're giving truth is to build them up, then you can end up in broken relationships. But the truth can still pierce and change, but you end up in broken relationships. If you do love without truth, you end up in heresy and false teachings. And it says within the word of God that when we do these things, when we serve the church, when we build each other up, we will no longer be like children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemings. We have a deceitful and scheming enemy and it is Satan. We have an enemy, which is our flesh, that would like us nothing more than to go away from the truth to some other heresy that's out there, some other false teaching. But as we build each other up and we teach each other and we serve each other, we become that foundation that people cling to when the waves come through. And we're not tossed to and fro. We stand firm and we weather the storm and we reach our communities for the gospel of Jesus. May we be those people who don't just come to church every Sunday, 
may we get involved in the body. If you're not someone who's a member of our church and you've, you call this your home, please come next week during the 11 o'clock service. You can go to the 930. And then you can go to the 11 o'clock and learn more and become a member of our church. If you're somebody who's a member of our church, by the very statement that you're a member, you're saying, I'm all in and I'm stepping up and I am going to serve this church. Guys, seriously, we are praying for God to do amazing, incredible things in this community. For God to bring people in droves to this church who don't know Jesus and they would come to know him. That their children would go back there and hear a gospel that changes their life from five so when they die, when they're a hundred, their whole life was to glorify God. Like this is the reality of what we have and the ministry that we have in Christ. And when you serve the church, you invest into people. And when you serve the church, you change lives. And when you serve the church, you are giving people hope when they need it the most. We are called to be God's hands and feet and the ministers of his word. And we are called to serve each other, to build each other up, to remind each other of the love and forgiveness and mercy of God and to reach into our communities and to see God get great glory as Jesus' name is made famous and his praise goes forth in this community. I don't just want to do church every single week and have it be the same. I want us to reach into our communities and invite people. I want us to reach into our communities and invest in relationships. Invite them on Easter. 80% of people say that they would not go to church any other time, but if you ask them to go to Easter, they'll come. And then the word pierces and, and it saves them. May we be those who love the truth, who preach the truth, who serve the church. Get plugged in. Go all in and live to build up the body of Christ for the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We pray for those who don't know you as Lord and Savior today that they would surrender their life to you. Heavenly Father, that they would be those who are passionate for the word. Lord Jesus, for those who are in pain today, I pray that they find their peace in you. For those who are having joy today because of victories, they would find their celebration in you. And I pray, Father God, for those, Heavenly Father, who have been saying, hey, I should probably get involved, that today would be the call that they would come and step in. For those who aren't members who are saying, yeah, I'm all in, that they would come and go to the membership class next week during the 11 o'clock, Lord. I just, I just pray for you to fill that place. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would do far more abundantly than we could ask or imagine through the power at work within us, Father, because it is for your glory that we do these things, for the praise of your name. So you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Amen.